Okay, good evening everyone. Today, in the message I sent out, the title was, Should You Have a Healthy Self-Esteem? And that's really the beginning of the Tanya. What is the appropriate self-esteem? How should we look at ourselves? Before we get there, Good evening, Vasha. You know, let's hear from two people. Tavir, what's, what's a healthy, uh, healthy self-esteem? Oh, well, what, how does the Torah want you to look at yourself? Keeping yourself in check, not thinking you're too lofty, but also not thinking you're at the bottom. A bainani. Yeah. And so Tavir says, <clears throat> the correct path to perceive yourself is you're okay. You could be better, you could be worse. True. Is that? Yeah, I think it may actually say we should think even lower than that. But, but this is the way that you, you understand, mm -hmm. Doctor Yosef. How should a person perceive himself? What's a, a proper, a proper, a healthy perception? Well, um, at the first paragraph, he says you should regard yourself as you were, as if you were wicked. <coughs> Well, actually, this is talking about before birth, but but it seems like uh, it seems like that's what he's telling people to do: is regard themselves as though they're wicked. Okay, so you're 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 telling me the text says we should look at ourselves as if as if we're wicked. That's what it says in verse Okay, but before we get there, let's first talk about the name of the Tanya. So Tanya's true name is, anyone call it out? What's the name that the author gave it? Likute Amarim, but right before the words Likute Amarim, that's just the name of this section. The, se the book as a whole, it was called? Sefer Shel Beninim. The name of this book is the intermediary, the intermediary Man's Instruction Guide. We all call it by the name Tanya. That itself is a question. Why don't we call it the name that the author gave it? <clears throat> you know, someone publishes a book. Now, what's a famous book? Bathsheba, what's a famous English book that you know? <laughs> David, throw out a famous English book. Tale of Two Cities. Tale of Two Cities. And so one day you wake up and you say you want to give it a different name. It's not so normal. Let's start calling it a Tale of Three Cities. If the book was given this name by the author, why are we giving it a separate name? Question A. Question B. What does Tanya mean? Teaching. Tanya means a teaching. But there's many, many methods of saying to teach. You could say Tanan, you could say Tanya, you could say Masnissen. There's many methods to, to, to say that. Tanya itself means we learned in a source similar to the Mishnah. That means if you see the word Tanya, you automatically know that it was said during the Tanaic era prior to the Talmud. It was said in the time of the Mishnah before the Talmud. That's what Tanya means. Just one second, David. If you look in the average Gemara, quoting this piece we're going to learn in the Tanya, it's not quoted from the Talmudic era. It's quoted from the era following it's not quoted from the Mishnahic era, it's quoted from the Talmudic era. 
That means the wording, seemingly, that we're starting off the entire book, the word that we call the book by, Tanya, seemingly is false. Excuse me, what are the sequences? Tell me when it's Mishnayat and Talmud and so on. What, what is... You're asking in time or in wording? In time? Good question. But when? Very good. In the year 70? In the year 70, the temple was destroyed. Right. 70 years later, Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, the author of the Mishnah, was born. Okay. So, so you get it right there. The Mishnah was written immediately following the destruction of the temple. About two, three hundred years later, the Gemara was written on the Mishnah. Okay. So, if I tell you something is from the Mishnah, it is much stronger than if I tell you something is from the Gemara. But I have to say the truth. Seemingly, I'm telling you that the quote we're going to learn now is from Tanya. It's from the Mishnahic era. Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, the author of the Mishnah, wrote it. Yet in most, most Gemaras, it's actually quoted in the name of Rabbi Simlai. It's quoted from the era following the Mishnah. Why then are we quoting Tanya? Now, there is one or two versions that we could prove that have the Talmud, like anything else, has numerous versions. We actually currently, the, the copying that we do, we have of the Mishnah is from the Vilna Press. But just like anything else, it was printed numerous times. Each time there were mistakes made. So some of the versions have the word Tanya, but not all of them. The general Gemara doesn't have the word Tanya. So again, my question is, why are we using this random version saying Tanya, and we're calling this, everyone refers to the Tanya by this name, if that's not the average perception of this quote? Is the question clear? No, it's not so clear? Should I say it again? In very short words. The word Tanya, which is the first word of the, of the, uh, which is the, first word of the Tanya, seemingly shouldn't be used. It has been taught. The first quote in English, it has been taught, is, means Tanya. I'm sorry if I haven't been clear. The words it has been taught, the first four English words, mean Tanya. So it seems like it gives a greater level of authority to this particular quote than we would expect it to have. Correct, but you can't lie. Right. right. I'm sorry, is it, is it now clear? Um, do we are clear? Okay. Lottie? So, so. Yes, David. The precedent was set in the names of each portion of the Torah when it is read by using the first word. So the Alter Rebbe called on tradition to do that. True point. But again, we can't lie. If, if Tanya means it's from one era of time... It's obvious you're not running for office. <laughs> I want to show you the most incredible thing in the word Tanya itself. Now bear with me if you're not familiar with the Hebrew alphabet. But those that are, I'd like to show you the following phenomenal thing. The last letter of the Hebrew alphabet is Tuf. Which is the first, Tanya is spelled Tuf Nun Yud Aleph. Again, look, if you look in the Hebrew, you'll see the first full word is Perak Aleph. That just means chapter 1. The first full word is Tanya. It has been taught. The first letter of the Hebrew alphabet is Tuf. The two middle letters of the Hebrew alphabet are 
Let's look. Nun and Yud. Those are, if you had to... The first letter of the Hebrew alphabet is? Aleph. So, actually, the word Tanya is taking the Hebrew alphabet backwards. What is this about? What is this message? This is incredible. Okay, yes. Please. Okay, uh, since uh, the, the first letter and the last letter, um, that probably represents the Tzadik and the Yarka, oh. and the two letters in the middle probably represent the Bayern. Nice, I like that. I like. I just want to share with you, and that, that certainly has value to it, I just want to share with you another perception, and that is, without all of us thinking about who we are, without taking a moment, you know, what is the difference between Kabbalah and the, other, and the rest of Torah? It's very simple. The rest of the Torah talks about other things. It talks about if someone stole it talks about it, how you get married. It talks about what should happen by the bris milah. But it doesn't talk about God. And it doesn't talk about me. Chasidus Kabbalah talks about me. It says, who am I? Who, what is my connection to God? So when we learn Tanya, we start off at a tough. We're complete. We are the last and as we're going to learn Kabbalah, we'll realize I'm not everything. Now, I, I know almost everything, but now I'm a nun. I realize I have to back off. And as we learn more, we'll perceive I still have more to learn. I'm only a Yud. And finally, when we really throw ourselves into Kabbalah, we realize we're just an Aleph. We're just a part of, we're a microcosm. We're just a small part of this world. And we have to be able to share and work together. So that itself is a tremendous lesson in the word Tanya. Again, you start off thinking you're tough, but then as you go, you realize how we're all an Aleph. We all have to work together. We're here together. We have a mission together. That's, that's one very fascinating point in the word itself, Tanya. Another crazy thing. Absolutely crazy. Yosef, please read number one. It's either on your handout or footnote number one. If you have... It's... it's it's number one on your handout. Um, yes, if you see the paper that I handed out, could you read number one out loud, please? Right there. Right there. It has been. Tanya is the name. Tanya is the name of the evil forces that don't want people learning the secrets of the Torah. Why do they fight against it? Since through learning these secrets, it is nullified, removed. To fight this evil force, Rabbi Shmuel Zalman began the Tanya with this very word. Let me just tell you something a little crazy. You know, I have, I'm a teacher, I'm a principal, and one of the issues I deal with is the internet. What could be the best thing in the world for a child to Google? Tanya. What could be, let me tell you, it's one of the worst things to Google. It comes up, Tanya is also a name of a person. So, I'm sharing this, I'm trying to make a point with you. That Tanya is good. It's also bad. And so, as you see, Kabbalah tells us that the word Tanya actually is, is the name of the forces that fight against learning Torah. So, the Tanya is actually, through us learning Tanya, we're able to fight against that evil force. 
And that is why this word was chosen. Okay, so now we have the first word, but let's continue on. Tanya, it has been, it has been learned. Uh, Yosef, if I could offer you a copy, please. Um, do you mind passing this to Yosef? Usher, please, please start reading the Tanya together. Let's go through it. Okay. You want me to start? Talking? Please. It has been taught. Okay. We're it starting from the beginning. It has been taught in Nidah and chapter 3. An oath is administered to him before birth, warning him, be righteous and be not wicked. And even if the whole world tells you that you are righteous, regard yourself as if you are wicked. Crazy. The Gemara says, and number two, Devere, could you read footnote, could you read um, on your handout, number two? It does not emerge from there in the womb before it is made to take an oath. What is the nature of the oath that it is made to take? Be righteous and be never wicked. And even if all the world, even if all the world tells you you are righteous, consider yourself wicked. Fascinating, fascinating Talmudic piece. Anyone that wants to learn about childbirth, I suggest you look in this Gemara. It's a fascinating piece. If you ever wondered how you have room for the child, let me tell you, inside there's also room for an angel. And that's what this Talmud is talking about. While the child is, is growing within its mother's stomach, there's an angel with it. Wow. And that angel is teaching it Torah. Is everyone familiar with the idea that the angel comes and... Yeah. That happens right... It happens in the middle of labor. Just remember, while, while you're in the middle of labor, there's an angel there. And right before the child comes out, it, it learns the whole, the whole Torah. And right before it comes out, an angel comes, and it forgets the Torah. It's, that's when the thing comes? That's, that's what they say, that this uh, indentation comes from that, yeah. I haven't seen that in, in, a, in a truly holy source, but it does make sense. I, I won't argue on it. So the Talmud over there discusses all the different things. You know, there's a, not only is there an angel, there's actually the Shekhinah. God's presence is there with the child and with that angel. And they're learning towards one of the most awesome opportunities the soul has, is right before it's born. And as it's about to come out, the angel makes it swear. It says, it's like a child before they go to college, right? I don't know. Did your parents ever make you swear before you went to college? Anything? Don't do this and this when you go? Before you're born up. Yeshua says nothing ever happened when he went. <laughs> right before the child comes out, the angel makes it swear and says, Promise me you're going to be a tzaddik. Promise me you're going to be the ultimate person possible. But the oath goes on. But, even if you are a tzaddik, and even if everyone tells you, you are a tzaddik, Sandra, you have to think of yourself as an evil person. Yes. It seems like there's a difference in the wording. Please. One says, Alti uh, uh, or it says, uh, be in your eyes as a wicked person. Yeah. The other one says, do not be wicked in front of yourself. Is there wait, wait, wait. We didn't get to the question yet. Right now we're just discussing the Talmud. I'll get back to that in a moment. But right now we're looking at the Talmud itself. This is the story the Talmud says that right before it comes out it says you must look at yourself as a wicked man. And before we... Just looking at this, there's two major questions that come up. 
Anyone here learn psychology? Liz learned psychology. So what's the problem with making someone think that he's the most wicked man ever? On some level, that is what he will portray. That's what, are you saying that's what he's going to portray or that's what he's going to become? Or, or are you saying both? No. On some level, he is going to become that and he is going to portray that. Precisely. Without, you can show a side without that side being you. Precisely. If you tell someone, right, if a teacher told you that you are not smart, so you're not smart. So fine. That's yeah. wrong. Correct. It's wrong by the teacher. But nonetheless, we see that perhaps that's the holy method, is to put down your students. Maybe that's what the Gemara is saying. Why? I don't know. I'm just saying the, the Talmud. It's not true. I just, I'm just sharing the Talmud. We'll get to that in a moment. But I, yes? If you think yourself is wicked, then it's not good for your self-esteem. Yeah. That's true, but this, I, I can't argue with the Talmud. The Talmud says to look at yourself as wicked. But it's not good for your self-esteem. Mm -hmm. Correct. And that is what the Talmud, Yosef, you said so well, so please continue. This requires to be understood. Okay, this requires to be understood. Um, Liz, if you're leaving, I want you, oh, okay, I was going to say, don't leave thinking that's the end of the story. <laughs> and be not wicked in your own estimation. Furthermore, if a man And be not wicked in your own estimation. So number one, problem number one. All of us have learned ethics of the fathers, Pirkeavos, and ethics of the fathers, I've printed it, it's in, uh, in note number three. Rabbi Shimon says, Do not be wicked in your own eyes. The mission itself says you're not allowed to look at yourself as a wicked ma man. It's not only you shouldn't psychologically, it's prohibited. So, so now we have a contradiction of two statements in the Talmud. One says you must, and actually we're making you swear to always perceive yourself as a wicked man. And then we have another one, which is not an oath, but we're saying it's prohibited to look at yourself as a wicked man. This is like the ultimate Talmudic contradiction. It's almost impossible to reconcile it. Yes? Is this also a euphemism for your body part fighting your spiritual part? The body part is always wanted to rush usually. Interesting. So you're saying look at your body as a wicked part. Interesting. Aviva has a, has a fascinating perspective. Let's mm -hmm. always look at your body as wicked and your soul as holy. And it's a fight. If, if I was living 300 years ago, I would write that up as a, as a scholarly piece and I would get a lot of credit for it. You know In your name. I, don't worry, I would give it to you. I would give it to you. I, I would give it to you. <laughs> but, in our era, with the clarity that Kabbalah and Hasidus has given us, we, we actually learn the biggest tool in our life is our body. It used to be perceived, and, and thank you for bringing this up, thank you for bringing this up. It used to be perceived, our body is our enemy. And pain your body, afflict your body, hate your body, break your body. That was the perspective for many, many years. That's the wrong perspective. The 
the ultimate is when we're able to use our body. When we're able to use our talents. You know, it used to be perceived that if you have talents, so break them, break yourself. But the ultimate is to take who you are and make that a vessel to godliness. So, I agree with... I, I could agree with you, but I can't agree with you. Okay, but thank you, that's a very good point. So, point number one is that... The first point, problem with the statement, I swear, you must swear that your wicked man is, that the Torah disagrees. In other words, even if psychology didn't disagree, the Torah disagrees. But now we're going to continue and say that even psychology disagrees. Basha, do you have a copy? Yes. Could you please continue? Furthermore, we're in the middle of the second paragraph, second line. Oh, actually, so let me give you a different copy. Um, okay, so Yeshua, can you please continue furthermore? Oh, that's just helping Thank you. Oh, you know, Basha, please, furthermore. Very important. So now we're saying that let's just take the psychological look and we'll know that it goes against Torah. Because the Torah demands Yves Hashem v'simcha Torah says you must serve God with happiness. That is a requirement of the Torah. Yves Hashem v'simcha We must always be happy. And so if we're going to perceive ourselves as wicked we'll never be happy. Right. Okay, that's, that's I A. But what happens if we decide, you know, I'm wicked and I'll still be happy? Such a person has no limits. That means, that means he's, not, he's not sane and he'll just do anything. He's like, okay, I have no responsibility, I'm free. Right, that's what it says. It says, it may lead him to irreverence, God forbid. Either he's going to be depressed or he's not going to care. So how could the Talmud tell us that we swore, each and every one of us, Chayagitl? Did I get it right? Chayerachol? Chayerachol, Bathsheba, each and every one of you, Hillel, Shlomo, David, you, each and every one of you made an oath that you look at yourself, you perceive yourself as wicked. This is an oath we made. We're not talking about, I made it before I was born. That's a scary thought. That means every day I'm happy, I'm breaking a promise. Right, Gershon, are you ever happy? Don't say yes. <laughs> Every single. Why are you breaking your promise? Because you promised before you were born. Look, it, the, the Talmud in number one, in number two says, it does not emerge from there, from the womb, before it is made to. It's talking about you. But, but, but can you not ever be happy even if you perceive yourself as wicked? Yeah, I guess every so. I've, once a month you could be happy. <laughs> You be happy you're not worse. <laughs> <laughs> so how so we're saying the Talmud first of all to, to look at ourselves as wicked is a problem from another place in the Talmud which says to look at yourself that, that uh, you're not allowed to look at yourself as wicked Alti Russia from Ethics of the Fathers and second of all we're saying psychologically it doesn't make sense right now we have a question are there any questions 
Yeah. Yes. Um, we're, we're still looking for the sentence that says, we promise we're going to be with it. I apologize. You have, you have the handout? No, we have the book. Yes. So as, in addition to the book, I also, I also gave a handout. Oh, we didn't know that. Um, sorry. Here, in number two, it does not emerge from there. In case you're getting confused, there's two handouts. There's one that has the text of the Tanya. I didn't give that to the people that have their own Tanya. Then there's a second handout for those that don't have a Tanya. Fantastic, everything's right here. Oh no, you, you, got, you got one? You didn't get it. You, you just need one. This one has a footnote on the bottom. Okay, so let's continue. Please. Are we not supposed to feel wicked? I am totally lost. You should be. You should be lost. Why? Why are you sorry? Because somehow I think um, I'm probably the most wicked person here because I don't follow anything. I'm trying. If you would be, if you, everything would be clear, I would have failed. My job now is to confuse you and make it clear that there's a problem. The problem is that if I confuse you, if you have the red Tanya, I have, I have a bad news for you. I have bad news. Because in note number three in your red Tanya, it says, the apparent contradiction between the two sources is explained in chapter 13. So for 13, we got, a, we got, quite, a, we got quite a ways to understand the contradiction. But one thing I guarantee you, <laughs> one thing I guarantee you before you leave this room Hashem wants you to be happy and look at yourself as a good person when we get to chapter 13 we'll understand what, what the message is Did I, are, are, are you a happy person now? the best way to be happy would be to make, keep in your mind that you have both the capacity to grow and the potential to fail if you're not careful. And, and to keep in mind that you have the, always the power to make the, cho the choice to go both of those ways. Uh, Asher has a good observation. He's saying we should never look at ourselves as righteous because it may limit us. That's a good observation. We should always know that we, we, have a lot, we, we still have more to go. But very good observation. Okay, so now... Oh, you know what? I wanted to point something out. Something fantastic. Oftentimes, when we learn something and we're troubled by it, we have a problem. The problem is in the book. The book doesn't make sense. It's a bad book. We erase it. When we're learning Torah, you'll see specifically and, and especially in Kabbalah, there's always a quote, it never says kasha. Anyone here ever word of, heard of the word kasha? Kasha is a type of food, if you're familiar. But it, it, no, but kasha really means kuf shinhei means a tremendously challenging question. It means this doesn't make any sense. The book is wrong. Kasha. You won't find that in Chassidus. You'll find the words, and in the Hebrew, I'll, I'll quote it to you in Hebrew. Vitzarech lahavin. I need to understand. I need to understand. This requires to be understood. The way they've translated. This requires 
it makes sense. But help me out. So when we're learning Torah, this is our approach. Again, we're in this, I'm quoting to you the first five words of the second paragraph. The way we've tried to challenge the initial Talmudic statement was not by saying, how could you tell me to be wicked if another place tells me not to be wicked? It's wrong. No. It said, this requires to be understood. They're both right. If it's Torah, it's Torah. It's, it's for sure not wrong. Very important insight as we learn Torah. Torah is right, yes. Yes. The way you're defining um, wickedness is uh, very strict. Let's wait up on that. Okay, let's go ahead. However, the matter will be understood after a preliminary discussion. Let's get into the preliminary discussion. But before you do that, I want to point out something else. In the third paragraph, it says, However, the matter will be understood after a preliminary discussion. We have to leave. I'm so sorry. We're going to miss you. <laughs> no, no. I'm with you. Oh, <laughs> you're not allowed to leave. If that's your perception you're leaving with, I, I do no. not give you permission yeah. to leave. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know I'm not. You're not a tzaddik. Great. No, believe me, no. Uh, you mean to say the Rebbe thought he was wicked? Come on. Chapter 13, I'll answer it. <laughs> However, the matter will be understood with a preliminary discussion. Thank you very much. Good evening. Next week. The... Oftentimes, when we talk to someone, it's a plot, it's a ploy. I want to discuss something with you, so I'll bring up another topic. When we learn something in Torah, the questions are oftentimes just to get our attention. And so Sandra's like, chapter 13, I have to wait so long. The reason you need to wait so long, Sandra, is because the questions were just here to bring me into this other preliminary discussion. It was a ploy, it was a plot. It was a, they call it in teaching, there's a new, anyone here ever heard of an AS? It's called an anticipatory set, you must have heard of it David. But the, it, it was, it's, it's drawing us in. We have... <laughs> How many types of people are there? So if you read, the, if you read it, it's, what did it say? How many types of people? Five, Five types of people. Now, if you think there's five types of people... Okay, five types of people. What are the five types of people? Call it out, call it out. Look inside and just call out the five types of people, please. Good. 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 Intermediate one. Just learning over this, these five types of people itself is scary, very scary, but it's insightful. What does it mean? A righteous man who prospers, that's, that's great. A wicked man who suffers, yeah, unfortunately, that's the reality. But a righteous man who suffers, a wicked man who prospers, There's something wrong with that. that doesn't make sense, seemingly. How do you have these five types of people? I like. A wicked man who's prospering must be pretty devious. I'd like to introduce you to 
to Moses, Moshe Rabbeinu. And this question, the famous question, why do the righteous suffer, was a question he asked Hashem. Let's look in, in number four. Number four, um, Lari, do you mind reading number four for us? Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Yochanan said, fascinating piece of the Talmud. Rabbi Yochanan further said in the name of Rabbi Yossi, three things did Moses ask of the Holy One, blessed be he, and they were granted to him. He asked that the Divine Presence should rest upon Israel, and it was granted to him. He asked that the Divine Presence should not rest upon idolaters, and it was granted to him. He asked that he should show him the ways of the Holy One, blessed be he, and it was granted to him. Moses said before him, Lord of the universe, why is it that some righteous men prosper and others are in adversary? Some wicked men prosper and others are in adversity. Sorry. The Lord said thus to Moses, A righteous man who prospers is a perfectly righteous man. The righteous man who is in adversity is not a perfectly righteous man. The answer is written simply, but very challenging. Because Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu, if you're a holy, completely holy man, you'll have a good life. If you see a, if you see a righteous man suffering seemingly, don't feel bad for him, that means he sinned. I think that's the simple translation. Would that be correct to severe? Let me say it again. A righteous man who prospers is a perfectly righteous man. The righteous man who is in adversity is not a perfectly righteous man. <clears throat> So seemingly, any time you see a righteous man suffering, don't feel bad for him. And seemingly, any time you see a wicked man prospering, you're obviously wrong. He's obviously not wicked. What? How come? Because we see the life of a lot of people. Right. Why is it that the righteous suffer? Does anyone know? There's a few, a few, we'll call it classical answers. Anyone have an answer they would like to share? Dr. Yosef, why do the righteous suffer? Um, no, I, 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 don't, I don't give any answers to that. Please. Could it be that the, the reward is in Allahabad, not in this world? Okay, but no, I, I, I get your point, but why are they suffering according to what we learned? If they're truly righteous, they shouldn't be suffering. Punishment in the next life is much harsher than here. So Devere is saying a classical answer, but it's a very challenging one. Devere is saying that any sin they've done in this world, we're trying to correct so that when they go to heaven, there's no punishment. But that means every time you see a righteous man suffering, that's because of sin. And we know of many people that haven't sinned, or at least so we think. Maybe they sinned in a previous life. Maybe they're correcting an issue of a previous life sign. That's a good perspective. That's a, I'm, I'm not going to say good, because in this conversation it's hard to say good, but it's an interesting perspective. What does the, the word prosper mean? Is that only That means they're rich. They have a wonderful family. Everyone is healthy. They have a good job. They're, they're, looked, they're, 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 they're loved by their community. They're happy. 
I'm tempted to interpret it a little bit figuratively, meaning you know, a righteous person who prospers being a person who's completely righteousness and has overcome his his negative traits so that he doesn't struggle with them anymore. And a righteous person who suffers is I still is he's righteous, but he's still struggling with those traits. And that's a that's a fine perspective. Devere said the classical answer, and that, that is correct. That if you see a, a holy man suffering, remember, it's all perspective. It could be that what they did for us wouldn't be a sin. But because of their high stature, perhaps it was considered a sin that needs to be rectified. That, that's one perspective. But I'd like to share with you an easier perspective. <coughs> Something that doesn't... Because why should we say everyone sinned? Let's, an easier perspective... A man once came to his Rebbe and he told his Rebbe a tragic sin that he had done. The Rebbe pulled up his sleeve and he showed him this tremendous and painful rash that the Rebbe had on his hand. And he said, this rash is from your sin. And this is something we learn, that tzaddikim suffer for us. The Gemara says that times tzaddikim pass away so that the whole generation won't be wiped out. If you see a righteous man suffering, it could very well be that I need to thank him for taking, well, taking my issue. So let's make a summary of what we learned. We discussed the word Tanya, and we'll get to that in a second. Though. We discussed the word Tanya, and how it starts up from the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Tough, and it gets to the letter Aleph, because as we learn more, we realize we're not everything, we're not the tough. We're a part of this massive community, we have so much to do. We're just an Aleph. We mentioned how learning fights against this evil called Tanya, we discussed how Torah is right. We don't have a kasha. We don't come to the Torah and say the Torah is wrong. No, we said we want to understand. And then we got into this question and we said, who am I? How should I look at myself? Am I righteous, like it says in Ethics of the Fathers? Or am I wicked, like I, had to, like I personally needed to swear right before, I, right before I was born? Which one is it? And in order to understand this, we've introduced the five types of people. Now let me just tell you what the scheme of the Tanya is and where we're headed. And with that we'll take the question and conclude. What we're doing now is we're actually, it's a setup. We've introduced the five types of people. By understanding the five types of people, we'll understand what the Bainani is. Remember, each and every one of us has the ability to be a Bainani, this intermediary. Who is that person? And once we understand the general terms of the Bainani, we will then get into the breakup of the soul. We'll get up into the makeup of the soul and be able to properly understand who we are and how we could control over 
our body, or how we could control over, over our being. So we'll take this question, yes. If you want to, somebody has a question, I wanted to make an observation, so we'll all withdraw if you want to. Are there any questions? Please. Well, 